0: Hello there. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co host, Amon
1: Kusro. How are we doing today, Amon? We're doing well, Jesse very excited today to talk about a very fearsome bounty hunter and his crew and like him i am ready to take on any job in particular talk about him on this podcast you need no introduction that this. is true i think that's one of the stances.
0: that's him he needs an introduction it's it's pretty cool he's a really cool character i'm excited to get into it like to him today but also like I don't know, Amon. I think this is a big day for us because I'm a huge Bounty Hunter fan. You guys know if you listen to the show at all, or if you listen to any, any of my other Star Wars shows over the years, huge Star Wars Bounty Hunter fan, and especially in the competitive gaming format. So for me, Amon, to have our first gray cards in the game, gray is the color AMG chose for this kind of Bounty Hunter sub-faction. Scoundrels, scoundrels baby. Scoundrels, yeah. So I'm really like hyped to see what that looks like on the show today. Kind of lay our groundwork for our first gray cards ever. And, you know, this is something we're probably going to return to in the future, in theory, right? We've got a lot of characters that have been announced yet that would easily fit this gray card pattern. I'm really excited to see what that looks like, but it's cool that they chose Cad Bane
1: as the first one. I agree. I think in the Clone Wars era, if we're going to talk about morally gray characters, right, which I assume is the intention behind the gray, it's definitely Cad and it's definitely Hondo. For sure. For sure, we have Cad. He's here, but we're just waiting for Hondo, man.
0: Yeah, we're getting into the bounty hunters today and this Cad Bane box. But before we do that, we have
1: some people to thank. We do have some people to thank. Hello there, supported by our patrons, and our patrons support hello there at patreon.com dot com slash If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us and joining our Discord community. We have a league running right now with twenty eight people. It's super exciting, and just had of a doozy of a game myself right before recording. So. Very excited. Not only that I had to play a great game, but we had like eight people in the chat just chatting after the game, talking about their games and the game that I played as well. Yeah, that's one of many things you get part of our community is not only the league, as Amon said,
0: but like this community involvement. And we are like streaming stuff all the time, like games and things like mini extravaganza. And you can just jump in the chats, hang out with us, And have a lot of conversations, which is really fun. Because when the game ends, we keep having conversations,
1: Amon, which is great. Exactly. Yes. So come hang out with us if you'd like and join our league. We're going to start doing signups for episode three league shortly. Anyways, we'll take this time now to thank our new patrons for supporting Hello There. And we've got two, both at the Padawan Acolyte level. We have Rabid Rabbit and Kyle. Thank you, guys. Big deal. Of course, we cannot do this show without our
0: producers. That's Jedi Rusty, Jedi Rich, and Bounty Hunter Brady. And most importantly of all, we have two executive producers now, right, Amon?
1: We have two. It's very exciting. Of course, we have the OG himself, Emperor Kevin, first of his name. That's right. Well said. And he is joined by a Jedi Master who has come from, gosh, the far reaches of the galaxy to bring balance to the Force, give Kevin a hard time, which is great. Grandmaster Griffin, we appreciate the both of you.
0: Thank you guys so much. Of course, we've got some excellent sponsors of this show. I'm going to mention Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site. We can use our code There 5 to get 5% off his already discounted product for
1: Shatterpoint and other games. Check out Mr. Laser. Absolutely. And then, of course, our second partnership was with Imperial Terrain. They are the premier resource for all tabletop Star Wars Shatterpoint Terrain for Legion and Shatterpoint. Check them out. They have some amazing files that you can buy printed as well as download and print yourself. Use code there 5 at checkout for 5% off your order for all digital STL files. Highly recommend every time. Absolutely. Another announcement that I have is we were sent some tokens by Art of War Studios that are compatible with the Star Wars Shatterpoint corset. And I must say that I use them at Nova, and I got some great feedback from my opponents. They're awesome. I use their tokens for MCP. They have an amazing clear acrylic finish. They're really bright as well, so highly recommend you check them out. Again, Artivore Studios, the Shatterpoint token core set. Not only do you get basically acrylic versions of all the tokens in the core set, but you also get some really cool-looking tokens as well. So check them out. And that way, you're not going to accidentally take your opponent's tokens when you're using your stuff, which is pretty neat. I believe they're all three millimeter thick acrylic. And so you do have to peel them. But again, it's awesome. Highly recommend you check them out. Thank you to Art of War Studios for sending us these tokens.
0: Thank you, Art of War. Artemon, let's get into our lore today about Cad Bane needs no introduction. Cad Bane is a pretty cool character we get to do today on the show. He was a Duro's bounty hunter. He was born around the time of 62 BBY. So BBY is the Star Wars distinction for time. We've talked about this a lot before the Battle of Yavin. What's cool about this, Amon, is that means that around the time of the Book of Boba Fett, Cad Bane was a man in his 70s. Very cool. So Cad Bane became a bounty hunter, and during the early stages of his career, he was trained by Jango Fett. Wow. And after Django Fett got beheaded by Mace Windu at the Battle of Geonosis, Cad Bane went from being the number two bounty hunter in the galaxy to the number one bounty hunter in the galaxy, which was a big deal. And that's going to kind of be like a big lore point today. When Django was killed, Cad Bane took his spot. So we've done our Django episode. I think everything Django did until he was gone, Cad Bane took his spot. Now, what's interesting about Cad Bane is he's like Django, but more brutal, quite frankly. Right, He's much more brutal Django, And also, similar to Django, but even more. Cad Bane went toe-to-toe with Jedi, other bounty hunters, other mercenaries, pirates, and anything else in between. He could do it, and he could fight the people, which is pretty crazy. Well, let's talk a little bit about Cad Bane's gear. So I mentioned he's a Duros, so he's got the blue skin, the red eyes. We see them in the original Star Wars Cantina, in the original film. But Cad Bane's a little bit different from his regular Duros people because he really was this highly trained and equipped bounty hunter. What's crazy about Cad Bane is something I mentioned a lot when I discuss him with people and I kind of explain the character. He was Mandalorian to the extent of like his gear without being Mandalorian. He might not be bulked up in Mandalorian armor, right? But he's got the gauntlets. He's got a flamethrower. He's got a gas thrower. He's got a dart thrower. He's got a whipcord. He's got jetpack boots instead of a jetpack. He's got blasters. He's got body armor and Kevlar under his trench coat. He's got all these things that Mandalorians have in in some ways, but he's not a Mandalorian. Also, Cad Bane's iconic tubes that come out of his neck, right? The Duros people don't have this. This is unique to Cad Bane. This is a mod, essentially, to himself. Number one, this is the way he can breathe in space or the way athletes get additional oxygen. It's, It's that. Number two, it's a way that Jedi and Sith cannot force push or crush his throat. So incredible, right? That he's got this built-in tech for that. Also, Cad Bane has this plate on his head, which they show in the Book of Boba Fett and other elements of Clone Wars. What's cool about the plate on his head, that's like a mod later in his life because post-Clone Wars, Boba tries to kill Cad Bane in his youth still. And they have this epic duel, this Western shootout. And Cad Bane gives Boba the dent in his helmet. And Boba gives Cad Bane a dent in his head that he needs like cybernetic work done to keep his skull intact, right? Obviously, Cad Bane's got his iconic vest, jacket, and hat, which is incredible. But like, you see his gauntlets, you're like, those are like Mandalorian gauntlets, right? Very cool. Now, Cad Bane is like Django, but more intense, more merciless. So, we're going to go through his lore a little bit and his history. So, at some point prior to the Battle of Naboo, Cad Bane was contracted by Maul to do some missions on Nar Shaddaa, which is very cool. And alongside Aura Sang, which we're going to talk about today, and some other bounty hunters, Cad Bane helps Maul capture some Jedi and get some information to lead into the events of the Clone Wars. Very important, right? This continues during the Clone Wars. Cad Bane, now he's on like the phone book list of the Sith. He starts getting calls from Sidious to do missions all the time, right? And Sidious, being the Sidious that we know and love. The Separatist army does not know Cad Bane necessarily in the early days is working for Sidious, right? Sidious is having him execute plans, missions, things outside of his reign as this chess master of the Separatist army in the Republic. So Cad Bane's kind of working behind the scenes, which is very cool. One of Cad Bane's notable missions that we see in Clone Wars is the heist of the Jedi Temple. We see Cad Bane go in with some fellow bounty hunters and his droid, Toto, capture a Jedi kyber crystal and a Jedi holocron that gives information, all these four sensitive children across the galaxy that the Jedi were going to intervene in at some point, right? We talked about this, the Jedi do this, but he gets this information to Sidious, right? So Catman's a real bad guy in the sense of, he might not have these like nefarious plans that the Sidious has overall for the galaxy, but he doesn't care. Like, you give him money, he's going to do these plans that city wants you to do, right? And doing this, Cadbane comes in direct contact with the Jedi for the first time. This continues off and on over the Clone Wars. He captures senators, he fights multiple Jedi Ahsoka Tano, Anakin Skywalker, Obi Wan Kenobi, Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss, well said, frequently meets them toe to toe in combat, which is incredible, right? Sometimes wins, sometimes loses. But the fact that he wins it all against Jedi is incredible. Keep in mind, he's got that that shock stun weapon in his gauntlets. He's got the gas. He's got the whip cord. He's got the flamethrower. He's got all these tools to fight Jedi to kind of like even the distance between a Force user and a non-Force user, right? And Plus his training, right? He is the greatest gunslinger around post-Jango's death, right? So like that's enough, honestly. And then you have all these tools. And this is kind of what we see him do during Clone Wars a lot. We see him doing these secret missions for... Sidious. He poses as a Jedi. He poses as a clone. He, he's willing to go undercover as well to get these missions done. Like I said, very nefariously, he kidnaps Force-sensitive children for Sidious. But also, he helps the Hut cartel get back intact. that were captured by the Republic. Get free. Brought back to the Huts. Brings the Huts back in power. It's something we're we'll see later in his life where he's working for the Pikes. Right. He he'll work for these crime syndicates when they need his help. Right. He helps Dooku at times of need, which is very important. And we're kind of seeing a theme here. And the theme is that Cad Bane does a lot of jobs and he usually wins, right? Let me talk real quick about Cad Bane's droid, Toto, played by the incredible Seth Green. Seth Green always wanted to be in Star Wars. So it was fun that he got to sneak in this way outside of his robot chicken work. And Cad Bane, man, you know, he's not a good guy because he has this super loyal droid, like the most loyal droid ever. And all Cad Bane does is manipulate him, control him, and just like use him as a tool, right? And he's always like, "Yeah, yeah, Toto, you're gonna do this thing," and he's like lying to him. And I mentioned that today because Toto, of course, is on one of these minis, right? And this box today, so worth mentioning. that Toto is one of the minis, but eventually Cad Bane's story continues on and on and on. He's a bounty hunter prolifically through the Clone Wars, through the Galactic Republic downfall and then all the way to the galactic civil war with the rebel alliance and the empire and then he goes all the way to the post fall of the empire like i said 10 years post return of the jedi when he confronts boba fett and we get the whole story in the book of boba fett now what's interesting about this moment, I haven't brought this up yet but cad bane was trained by jango fett cad bane trains boba fett as a youngster but it's not a very it's tough love at best right it's very intense training Aura and Cad Bane both trained Boba. And maybe for better or for worse, they're not the best teachers. They're very adept people, right? But they're not the best teachers for a young boy. But Boba is trained by them. And what's interesting is, you know, Cad comes around in the Book of Boba Fett. Spoilers, as always, on the show, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the book of Boba Fett, stop now. But Cad Bane's working for the Pikes, guns down a lot of the people in Freetown, and then goes to Moss Espa and corners Boba Fett and Finnick Sean. And Cad Bane just wins the gunfight straight up a against Boba Fett. He just does. Even in Boba Fett in his older age experience years, he wins it. But eventually Boba wins the fight against Cad Bane because of his training with the Tuscans over the years with the gaffy stick in hand to hand combat, disarms Cad Bane and presumably kills him, which is what we think. Right. But time will tell if they ever bring him back or we see more of his history. And, you know, to be honest, we're still seeing Cad Bane's history in the bad batch, right? In the past at this point. So like Cad Bane's not gone. He's just his furthest point in time when he's in 70s, like I said, insane. In his 70s in the book of fat. He's bested by Boba. The apprentice kind of becomes the master in some ways. But man, we got to love him. He's one of these characters that his brutality and his just inability to care is a primary feature of his villain nature, right? And why he's such a great villain is because He's so good at what he does. And then number two, I I think Iman and I were talking about this before we started rolling mics, which is something very interesting to me. Cad Bane does not have a huge arc in Star Wars compared to other villains and other heroes. He kind of always does the same thing. And in fact, the end of his arc, he says this very thing. He says, Boba, I've been trying to tell you for decades. Only look out for yourself. Don't care about anybody else. Get paid. Keep yourself alive. You know what I mean? So Cad Bane's kind of like the furthest extent of like the furthest edge of the Han personality you know the worst part of Han right that far edge and it's like he's lived that his whole life and it's kept him alive for so long but at what cost
1: right relationships yeah it's interesting to think about it overall I mean you know Cad he grew up poor he grew up in this environment where he right just was like I need to be able to take care of myself I need to do whatever it is I need to do to live eat find shelter Han Solo. Similar, yeah. When he starts becoming this bounty hunter, I think he it's very interesting. I think he creates the persona of Cad Bane with the outfit and the unique, for sure, almost instantly recognizable attire and that attitude and that nonchalantness, I think is his way of saying like I am no longer who I was. I am now a bounty hunter and the only thing that matters is me and no one else and I was poor, I was hungry, I was weak and I'm strong. I am eating very well and I'm filthy rich, right? At one point Right. Talk about this notoriety. Like he was a nobody, right? He at one point during the Clone Wars after Django's death, he is, as you mentioned, the number one bounty hunter in the galaxy. He has a two point five million credit bounty on his head. Pretty good. It's insane, right? And then, you know, you mentioned a lot of his exploits, his armor, his weapons, but the fact that you went one of E2, Obi Wan and Quinlan Voss, disarmed Quinlan Voss, and then had the gall and the confidence to just use quinlan Voss's lightsaber against obi-wan and survive it's pretty insane right
0: yeah he's very trained he's very confident too like this is not a lack of ability or confidence his attitude right like this is not a typical villain or bully right that's like has no confidence so they reflect it a different way this is the opposite he has so much confidence that he's like well no one gets close because i'll kill him or you know what I mean I've got to survive in this galaxy right and all he knows is pain right and that's kind of what he leans into and he never grows out of that which is fine because it's part of Star Wars is like characters like this are massive to the lore right like Star Wars is a western at its heart and he's a classic villain in a western right that's like only known one way and done it so well you know he's kind of locked into that and he's very good at what he does
1: he is very good at what he does and I feel like almost Cad Bane is this character that he's almost recognizable enough because he's like in so much media, right? He's worked with Maul. He was in Bad Batch. He was in Book of Boba Fett. He was in Clone Wars. It's incredible. And so he's just all over the place. He's in a ton of comics, a couple books. And then it's also interesting because I feel like a lot of times they kind of just throw him in, you know, it's like, oh, I wonder who should be in this episode or who should be in this particular scene, you know, like if you're watching Bad Batch, Omega, right, Omega, depending on your pronunciation, she gets kidnapped. And it's like, oh, I wonder which bounty hunter comes to kidnap her. Cad Bane. If the price is right. Truly. There is this really interesting thing where you mentioned about the Boba Cad Bane, like the shoot-off that they had where they both hurt each other. Yeah. Filoni was going to put that in Star Wars Clone Wars, but they never got to do it because the show got canceled and then they got new life later with you know season six and seven. But he explained at Anaheim Star Wars Celebration, it was a panel called the Untold Clone Wars. And so they actually shared this detailed storyboard art where it was going to have this whole idea where they go to Tatooine. Because, of course, you know, millions of planets in the galaxy, but Tatooine, that's the place. And so of these Tuskins had apparently captured a child and they were supposed to go get the child. And Bobo was going to go with Cad. They would develop a relationship similar to the one Beta had with Django the cad ship the justifier was supposed to be introduced in those episodes and then the arc would end with a standoff duel in which boba's helmet is dented and they never mentioned whether cad would get that you know metal plate installed but there's so many missed opportunities in the clone wars like we talked about this on the talzen episode right like son of dathomir that should have been clone wars it's just sad these are both like at that time where
0: the show got cut right like at the end of season five like these are both arcs in that time but with finally donning the armor, right, and Floney had like the full pre stuff done, right? like they had the full storyboards, previs, everything. What's cool about this, Amon is like a lot of the stuff be- still became Canon, the son of Datir and like this cat Bane, Boba interaction because still became Canon through other mediums, like audiobooks and comics and things like that. so like they exist, right, and like there's an audiobook out like the, some of these untold stories of the Clone Wars and they have the actors from the Clone Wars doing it. Yeah. Cad Bane's one of the actors, right? So like these things are still fleshed out. It's just not in the main medium of the Clone Wars, which is a bummer, but like it's still canon, which is incredible. Right. And like everybody knows Boba's dent on his helmet. It's like, it's iconic. So for Cad Bane to get a headshot on him and give him that dent, come on, you know, it's, it's good stuff. And you know, I don't know, Cad Bane, Book of Boba Fett, like, you know it's a great character in Star Wars when you see a silhouette and you know what character it is, right? Cad one of those characters, you see his silhouette in the distance and you know who's coming, right? And they do that in the book of Fett. The first time you see him come on screen when he comes to Freetown, you see a silhouette way in the distance, right? And the Western style, and you know who it is, which is crazy, right? Incredible character, very vicious, intense character who's making his way in the galaxy. And like, you know, In a different world, maybe this could be Han, you know what I mean? This is the type of like, you make choices in this galaxy, and you go certain ways that Cadvane chose the path he chose. And I think he's a very fascinating character and a very skilled villain.
1: Yeah, I think his ruthlessness and his willing to do whatever it takes makes him so fearsome and so skilled. You mentioned impersonation. He's willing to do whatever it takes. Poison, assassination, manipulation, deception, betrayal, everything. Every term under the sun he has used many times he's like boba
0: in the original trilogy timeline but like more facets you know and boba's a big deal like vader literally tells boba to his face no disintegrations i mean this you know like i know how you play boba like i want the crew of the falcon intact you know (laughs) but cad bane had his own notoriety in the galaxy right and he earned it well so i'm really excited to talk about him today in star wars shatterpoint we got to jump right in
1: to that very thing. Alrighty, so Cad Bane, Notorious Hunter, is his full name. Great name. Great name. He's a primary unit, and he has two force, which is the first character in the game to have such low force, and he is also the first character or unit in the game to provide nine strike points when creating a strike team. It's so exciting. Two new things. Yeah, it was really interesting because on one hand, it implies that Cad Bane, in theory, is a weaker primary character because of the fact that he has more points to offer. I feel like at the same time, you also understand that he's not a force user, right? So maybe you give him less force and you give him more points to balance that out. It's super cool. Like, I want to see more of this in the game, to be honest. Yeah. I said earlier in the Mace episode, I never thought they were going to go six. I don't want to say that I never thought they'd go nine, but I was surprised to see a nine so early. It's cool to get Mace and Cad Bane, back-to-back, back, right, I'm on Like, get a six and a nine and just open up building. Yeah, it's incredible. And I look forward to seeing whether the characters are at the level of six and at nine. But sticking on Cad Bane here, speaking of nine, nine stamina, which is lower for primaries, three durability with the tags bounty hunter, mercenary, and scoundrel.
0: Yeah, we'll see how they build these out right especially the scoundrel i'm still very intrigued on that i especially because maul has it and like one would presume just star wars lore here come on it's, it's multiple lines in the movies han would have it maybe lando would have it so it's like what's the difference between scoundrel mercenary and bounty hunter and where you like draw the line and what do those mean for list building in the future i'm really excited to see that i love the cat has all three he is future-proofed right in theory but like, obviously Han's not a bounty hunter, right? So Han's not going to have bounty hunters. So I'm excited to see the differences But what happens with that. Getting back to the nine stamina. So something you and I brought up recently on our Padme episode, and I think it's something you you maybe said, is nine becoming the new average? We maybe thought 10 might've been the average initially because we had 11, 12, and nine, and 10. Is nine just like maybe becoming the new average as the game goes on? We get more characters. We're just gonna have more nines, right? Maybe
1: it's interesting to think about because including secondaries, nine is certainly that average midpoint. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, is nine average? Maybe. I mean, it's starting to look like it. Not saying it is now, but uh-huh. yeah. Well, let's count. Right, we have Ahsoka, Asajj. If we look at just primaries, right? Ahsoka, Asajj, yep. Grand Inquisitor, Lumi, Cad Bane. Cad Bane. Queen Amidala. That's six. It's quite a bit. How many primaries are there total? 14. Yeah, I would say six out of 14 is, is quite a commanding number up if there. you think about it. So if you look at the top and the, the bottom, I'm sure the average probably ends up somewhere around six.
0: Yeah, especially when you take it like Vader and like the 11s, right? Which the 11s are very uncommon, right? There's only a few. So it's like Vader being 12. And you got like the Malls, the Grievous, you know, the Annie's. So like the rest is like a couple tens, right? That's so interesting.
1: Maybe, maybe it's closer to 10. I don't know. Anywho, it's an interesting point you make. And I do find nine to be too low. I've just been having a lot of spikes happen to me in games lately.
0: Uh, That's good. Yeah. As of right now, I'm on, there are three tens.
1: Yeah. So nine is probably the most fascinating. So interesting. Well, back to Cad Bane. Let's start with his first ability. It's an active ability costs one force, which is 50% of the force he brings. How about you step aside? Choose an enemy character within range three and an active objective it is contesting. The chosen character may dash away from that objective. Then after any moves are resolved, if the chosen character is no longer contesting the chosen objective, it gains disarm. If the chosen character is still contesting the chosen objective, it gains exposed and strained. So, Mon, was super interesting about this?
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. This is our first time we've had where you do something and your opponent gets to make a choice. That is cool. The choice is, do they dash away from the objective, contesting range, or do they stay? And if they dash away, they only get get disarmed because they're they're saying, Cat Bane's here. I'm I'm not doing this gunfight. And if they stay, they get exposed and strained because they're
1: basically saying, no, I I choose to stay and fight. So you are not wrong. This is the first... Ability we've seen in the game where it forces a choice on the opponent and it's actually amazing design I'm very glad that they introduced this I think actually this is probably one of the best things about Cadbane this ability for right sure here. for sure and it's fascinating really because I think it's all bad right like yeah disarming painful and but moving off a point exactly it's also yeah. pain but then you want to stay you need this point maybe it's the priority token maybe it's not then you got to take the exposed and the strain this is pretty incredible because Everybody loves hitting exposed targets, right? Especially bounty hunters. That's right. It's very simple. So it's there's not much to really harp on and expand upon. I mean, there's just so many scenarios in which this is great. Earlier today, I played a game where there was a Vader on the point, And I asked Vader to step aside. And my opponent was like, I can't afford to lose Vader. So I'm just going to take the dash. And I was able to get that point, which was great. Wow. And then I guess what they failed to realize is that a disarmed Vader also isn't a very good Vader, right? I mean... Vader's job is to have this big, punchy turn. And if you don't give him that, I think it's a double-edged saber there, if you will. So it's cool. I think you can take advantage of your opponent and put that pressure exactly as Cat is doing in the show or in the game and watch them strain as well.
0: It's very cool. He's walking up and he's telling you, how about you step aside? And they got to make a choice, right? Live or die. So. Continuing on with Cad Bane's card, we have an active ability called Rocket Boots. costs one force. It looks similar to some Mandalorian stuff we've seen
1: before. Each character in this unit may jump. Yeah, I think this is fantastic because I think one of the biggest things you're going to look at when you see Cad is there's no tactics ability, right? There's no I get to dash and they get to dash or I get to advance or they get to advance. You get a jump, though, and the jump is awesome and he needs it. And you're going to spend it often, which, again, is this conundrum because he only has two force. An ideal cad turn is you step aside and you rocket boots. True, he needs the maneuverability; it's great for him. It keeps him like agile.
0: Like Cad Bane, something we talk about today in lore, but like he's got all the tech right and he knows how to use it. But like he's also got like agility on top of like his fighting prowess. The only way he can go toe to toe with all these Jedi and other people is he's so good at maneuvering around the battlefield, and they show this in this card, and this is the, one of the first ways they show
1: it. Yeah, I agree. His next ability is a reactive ability. No one gets between me and my job. Also costs of force. After an, another allied unit makes a combat action. If Cad is not engaged, he can use this ability. Choose one of the targeted characters within range four. One character in this unit deals two damage to the chosen character. If none of the targeted characters are within four, each character in this unit may jump towards one of the targeted characters.
0: I think I'm on this is like his best ability, sneaky, because... You're doing stuff outside his turn, right? And you're winning points. You're dealing damage. His damage is also going to trigger his identity coming up, which is very cool. So I think you're going to pay one force for the jump or the two damage every time because the jump is global. That's how to describe it. There's no range restriction. And then the shot is range four, just two auto damage. And keep in mind, listeners at home, protection and stuff like that does not reduce auto damage like this, right? This is just two damage outside of your turn. It's not a damage tree situation. So Cad Bane can also get around some of these tank characters that have protection with this as well.
1: Yeah, good shout out. I think this is very interesting because more damage, great. And because Cad Bane is dealing the damage, Cad Bane is wounding the target if they are indeed wounded, which is important for his identity, which we'll talk about in a moment. But you know, you can get pretty fancy with this. You can purposely keep Cad away from four. And have it to where Cat can just gain extra movement. Jump onto an objective, contest an objective. Pretty cool. It's pretty neat, yeah. Very flexible so far, what we've seen on Cat.
0: Makes sense with this lore, right? I'm really excited about this character, but Mon closes out on this identity.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. It's called, I'll take on any job for the right price. When an allied character wounds an enemy unit, after the effect is resolved, refresh one force, and one character in this unit may recover. Then, if the allied character who wounded the enemy unit, is a bounty hunter, you also refresh an additional force.
0: That's really good.
1: It's really good, yes, considering especially because, you know, if you play him and then the average primary, right, which comes with 3 force, you're only getting 5 force. But in theory, right, if Cad's the one taking somebody out, you're refreshing like 40-something percent of your force, which is really neat. Yeah, and that just continues to get better. Like
0: you bring other bounty hunters or payday people with Cad Bane, whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, and even if you don't, you still get that one force, right? So, imagine playing... And the recover. Yeah, and the recover. The recover adds up a lot. Trust me when I tell you this. The recover adds up so much. Taking a condition off Cad, healing him is so nice. But, you know, you immediately think of characters like, who would I pair up with Cad, right? Like, Vader. Yeah. Vader kills stuff. Django. Django Django. kills stuff. Yeah. He's a bounty hunter. getting that force. He is a bounty hunter.
0: So, Cad's getting paid. So, Cad's getting the recover. So it's either during his turn wounding people or other people wounding people or someone attacking someone and then him triggering no one gets between me and my job and wounding them. I saw Emperor Kevin do in a game I had against him where Cad Bane recovered Vader's pinned, right? During Vader's turn when Cad Bane triggered no one gets between me and my job. There's a lot of synergy of things going on. Very cool. And those do add up as Zaman said.
1: And I think we'll better understand what Cad can do after we talk about his stances, but as you can see, listener, or at least here, right, yeah. is that he has a tight force pool, but his identity allows you to refresh. It rewards you for being aggressive, so you're going to want to pair cad with an aggressive primary or aggressive units who can help him and themselves deal a lot of damage. And then that allows him to be very selfish with his abilities, right? Like, if you're going to get one to two force back every order deck shuffle, then Cad's not a 2 force guy. He's a 4 force guy. For sure. It's big. It's big. It's huge. So in my game today, it felt like he was providing more than the two that he comes on his card. For sure. Now, Jesse mentioned earlier he needs no introduction, and that is the name of his first stance card. And so he's got eight range attack dice with a range of four, which is awesome. Whew. He's got six melee dice, and then he's six and five respectively. On and melee defense. He's got the LL 30 blaster pistols for his expertise on range. One, one crit, two to three, a crit and a strike, four plus two crits and a strike. He's also got the wrist mounted flamethrower for his melee expertise. One expertise, one strike, two to three, a crit and a strike, four plus two crits and a damage. And his defense expertise is called dogged tenacity. One to two, two block, three to four. Two block, a recover, and a jump. Five plus, two block, turn an opposing crit to a fail, a recover, and a jump. Jesse, that's a lot of information to parse through, but what are your thoughts on Cad Bane's expertise? It's really good.
0: This is his shooty side. This is his best defensive side overall, at least when the expertise come into play. His raw dice get a little bit better in a second on melee, but yeah, he's got a lot that he's doing. The crits abound little auto damage on the flamethrower, which makes sense. And I love this defensive expertise of recovers, jumps, turn crits to fails. He's doing the evasive thing I mentioned in lore.
1: Yeah, he is. And I think this further reinforces the fact that this is Cad Bane, the individual who's willing to do whatever it takes to survive and get away. The dogged tenacity. At the same time, you know, he still hits like a truck. I mean, eight dice at range four is pretty solid. I was going to say the theme is sick because it's just like souped up Django. Yeah. I mean, if Django was a primary, it probably look something very similar. But I'm just saying this. Django
0: trained him and then he became the better Django over the years, right? So it's like,
1: well, it's debatable. Django's life was tragically cut short.
0: Well, Cad Bane's wasn't for a long time.
1: What What's his race again? What are they called?
0: Duros. How long is
1: the average life cycle? They have roughly the same
0: life cycle as a human, so... Let's, ah, okay. Look we'll, at we'll that. Seventy well, is pretty, pretty decent then. Yeah. So the fact that he just like his expertise and his raw dice are just like souped up Django, which you know, yeah, Django's secondary, so it makes sense in our scheme of game design. But also the lore is just cool.
1: The lore is cool. All right. Well, let's get in this tree. Starts out with two damage, and then we have kind of a crisscross shape here. We can either go up for a jump and a damage, or down for a recover and a damage, and then. We get to the third tile, which is a shove and two damage. And then from here, we can either go up or down. If we go up, it's a pin and a damage, and then another jump and a two damage. If we go down, it's a disarm and a damage, and then a shove, damage, and recover. So a lot of options here, Jesse. What do we think about this tree? It's incredible. So many options, right? Like, it's the
0: options tree. (laughs) The peak damage you're going to do on the top path is eight, which is incredible, right? with two jumps, and with a pin. But you go the bottom path, the damage is going to decrease down to seven, but then you're going to get the two conditions and the shove and the recover.
1: I would say that this is the stance that you don't actually want to start the game in, but you want to swap to this stance after your first activation. And then from there, you kind of see how the game unfolds. And I think, particularly, it's because of dogged tenacity.
0: It's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, the defense is really good. And again, the recovers and the shoves and the jumps really allow you some flexibility going into, you know, shatter point activations or second activations when the deck reshuffles, which probably by that point you're in another struggle, right? Or trying to figure out how to close out a struggle. So this is the side where I actually think you should start. And the reason being is because you can do a lot of cool things from an offensive perspective here. It's called As Long As I Get Paid. So range four again, seven seven on melee and range, and six six on melee and range defense. Again, we have these LL thirty blaster pistols expertise here for one, a crit, two to three, two crits, four plus, two crits and a strike. And the wrist mounted flamethrower, one a crit, two to three, two crits, four plus, two crits, and a damage, as we can see, a lot more crits on this side than on needs no introduction. And then Dogged Tenacity drops a little bit, right? So 1 to 2, 1 block, 3 to 4, 2 block, a recover and a jump, 5 plus, 2 block, turn a crit to a fail, recover and a jump.
0: I like these crit upgrades on the pistols and the flamethrower, especially in that mid-tier range. The 2 to 3 on the side is much better. Like your hits are just jumping up to crits,
1: right? Yeah. The floor gets lowered a bit, but the stealing stays at the same place.
0: Well said. And the tree is a little bit more straightforward as well, right, Amon?
1: Yeah. And again, you know, he's just trying to get paid here, so he's just going to do whatever he needs to do to get the job done. And for me, like, it's interesting because one less dice on range, but the damage is considerably front-loaded on this tree, which is pretty cool. For sure. Two damage to start off with, then a disarm and a damage, then three damage, and then from there you can either go up, which is a strain and a damage, and then a pin and a damage, or go down with a shove and a damage and two additional damage. So at maximum damage on this tree... You're doing nine, which is pretty crazy.
0: It's pretty good. And if you gave him a disarm from that, how about you step aside? You deal not 10, right? Or if they took the strain, you just go to the top path, give him more damage that way, right? He, he means business on the side, right? His melee in particular on the side is really scary. Like you want him to be in this form when he's stuck in melee.
1: Well, it depends, right? For sure. When he's offensively in melee, for sure. For sure. So this is why I think you should start on this side is because you walk up the board, maybe you rocket boot, and then you put on a hurt on a target, right? Mm, Yeah. You put pressure on your opponent. You make them feel like, oh, crap, like, you know, because Kat can easily, you know, three successes, he's doing six damage in a disarm. That's crazy. 100%.
0: Same reason you start Grievous and his quad arm attack, right? Yeah. You swap to Warlord after you've done, like, the
1: attack. Exactly. And so the same concept applies here. And then you switch to Needs No Introduction because... Doubling that defensive expertise.
0: What's so interesting though, Amon, is like, I don't know the math of this stuff, but like the expertise is so much better, but like his melee defensive needs no introduction is five and it's six on his other side. Just interesting, right? Like the raw dice are a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I think I would rather, I think, rely on that defensive expertise on needs no introduction just because sometimes you roll a ton of expertise, right? Oh yeah, all the time. And that is a weakness of Cad Bane, is that defensively he isn't very strong. You know, five and six dice isn't a lot. And if you're rolling five, then you're relying on your expertise. If you're rolling six, then your expertise isn't as good as the other side. So he's got his weaknesses. You know, he doesn't like a prolonged engagement.
0: He's like a more defensive Padme. And that's not saying much, right?
1: No, not at all. But he's got some output, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he does. And like conditions too, right? Like, I love the lore of this, of the bounty hunters, where it's like he can adapt. He can give you a bunch of conditions. He can shove you. He can recover. He can jump. Like, he's just doing what he needs to do to get the job done.
1: I agree. And it's very fascinating because outside of just being a damage dealer, he actually is such an important piece on the table in terms of how you're designing this team, list building, and executing on the table because his identity is incredible. Every time you wound someone, you take a force back, and then Cad gets to recover. If that person who also did the wounding was a bounty hunter, it's two force back. So this payday that he keeps getting, for lack of a better term, is helping him cycle through his own abilities, allowing him to do cool stuff, and helping his team out as well. I mean, I think it's it's actually a very fascinating design. I really enjoy it. He's really well made, right? Like It's really impressive. Like They nailed this like
0: point cost with him. It really did. He's great. Well, time to move on, I guess. I'm on. To our next box mate, Aura Singh, a very infamous bounty hunter in the galaxy. She was a Force-sensitive, unnamed race, though the race has been named in Legends as the Paladuvians, but in canon, she's unnamed race. And it's interesting because I said she's Force-sensitive, so she was in the Jedi Order at some point as a Padawan. She left early age to become a bounty hunter, but she took her lightsaber with her. Very cool. Where is it? I know, right? She later told others of her past with the Jedi, but the fact the way Aura dealed in her life and the way she behaved, interacted in the world, some people never took it as fact. Namely, pirate Hondo Anaka, who becomes a romantic relationship with her later in her life, he never believed it. Rightfully
1: so, maybe, right? Wait, I didn't know Aura dated Hondo. Right? Isn't that cool? We're learning a lot today, mine. But like, why would Hondo, why would she even date him? Why
0: would you, why not date him? The man has money. He's the voice of Winnie, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger both and money. I I'm not sure. But we're talking about Aura being Force sensitive, her becoming a bounty hunter. That's just so interesting, right? And of course she was at Anakin's pod race. We all know this. She's in episode 1 for 2 seconds. She looks so cool when they're going through the canyon. She was there on a job. So that's that's a cool side tangent. But we mainly know her from Clone Wars, right? So, in Clone Wars, this is where she really comes to be the bounty hunter she's known to be. She joins Boba Fett and his quest to get revenge on Mace Windu for killing his father, Django Fett. And kind of Aura, Bosk, and Cad Bane kind of take Boba under their wing, mainly just Aura and Bosk. We talked about this recently in our pawns discussion on our Mace episode, but Aura is pretty brutal, Amon, even more brutal than Cad Bane, right? She will kill maliciously. And cold blood if she needs to. She just doesn't care. Also, why she probably wasn't cut out for the Jedi, to be honest. Her path crosses with Count Dooku with Ora Singh a little bit. She gets bested by Ahsoka Tano, but barely, right? We learn that she had a fling and a flame with Hondo Anaka, which is a whole nother thing. Of course, Ahsoka pursued them on Boba's modified fire spray ship, knocked it down. We thought Ora Singh was killed by the crash of the ship, but Hondo got Aura out of the ship and saved her life, right? Once again, bringing this full circle with Cad Bane, Aura worked with Zero the Hutt and the Hutt clan, Hutt syndicate, and she also worked with Cad Bane in a huge arc of the Clone Wars, which was the taking the Senate hostages and bringing about Sidious' plan to enact things in the Senate through the bounty hunters. What's pretty cool is later on, as the Clone Wars continued, Sang took over roles in the Separatist military, which is interesting, right? She kind of worked alongside them more. They paid her more money. She kept showing up. The Jedi kind of made it a goal to take her out or to capture her. So that became a whole other thing. They captured her. She escaped. Classic saying, I haven't mentioned yet. She's got this comm link fully embedded inside her head. So if, if you need to call her on a comms, she just has it inside her head, cybernetics. She's also an incredible sniper, incredible gunslinger with pistols. She has a lightsaber, we know, and she's really agile. So not only is she a great sniper, but she could scale walls, buildings, things quickly to get to a higher ground, better sniping overwatch position quickly, take great shots. Around 13 years before the Battle of Yavin, so around this kind of two decades before New Hope after Revenge of the Sith. Ora Singh did a job with Tobias Beckett from Solo. Of course, that's Woody Harrelson that we know and love. And Beckett kills her in this job. He pushes her off a cliff, and Lando says it in Solo Tobias Beckett, you're you're the man who killed Ora Singh. And he's like, Well, the fall killed her, not me. And that's a whole other element of her story. But, you know, she was this incredible assassin all this time, killed so many people. And then she's kind of killed offhand by a mid tier pirate, right? They kind of double crossed her and a job, which I think is very interesting. But also very Star Wars, right?
1: It is very Star Wars, but it that's generally how it kind of goes, right? Like eventually you don't have that luck anymore. It runs out.
0: Yeah. She had a lot of luck. I mean she walked away from the Jedi, she she got out of fights with Jedi, she fought other bounty hunters. Like we said, she
1: fought in the Clone Wars for the Separatist side. And it's so interesting to think about, you know, she was this murderous woman. But at the same time, like she had this sense of camaraderie in the bounty hunter community. Like after Django's death, she kind of helps train Boba, and she calls him honey. You know, like this maternal figure who's like trying to help him work through his problems. It's really interesting because at the same time, when they get in that whole thing with Mace Windu and Boba, like she abandons him the moment she can to save herself.
0: Right, which is very dark because I didn't mention it yet in her story, but she never knew her father. He was a deadbeat dad who was never around. And that her mother was a spice-addicted drug addict. So the Jedi scooped her up and were like, we'll give you a life, we'll, we'll give you shelter, right? And she walked away from that. But I mean, it's weird that like she had no family, she had no upbringing, right? And she does some of the same things to Boba. And like I said, it's very hard knock love with Boba. I mean, she was even more intense with Boba in some ways than Cad Bane. Maybe that's her way of being like, this is the real world, this is the, my world, so I want you to experience it as I do. But also, like, is that the right call, right? He's just a young boy. Maybe you could go a different route with it if you want to. But she chose the path she chose. And like I said, in our Mace episode, she killed
1: pawns in cold blood. I think she is just a bounty hunter, and that's what they do. They put themselves first. She's an extremely selfish bounty hunter, which, you know, not not saying they're not all
0: selfish or not, but I'm just saying, like, they're all motivated by greed, right? She just got a hair more detachment than some of the other ones, right? Which works for her career up to a certain point.
1: She also had a cool run in with Ahsoka.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like like I mentioned, like the whole back and forth of all that and like the disabling of the ship and did she live? Did she not? Honda saved her life. Yeah. But once again, it's like, it's facets of all this, right? Amon? it's like, where's the spectrum of like Han and Chewie, the smugglers that are doing jobs and for themselves? They're just trying to survive, right? Make money. But there's a big distinction, Amon, between like Han and Chewie trying to make ends meet to eat. Right, being a little selfish, to Ora Singh killing people in cold blood, to making the same money, right? Like there, there's a spectrum, right, of people. And obviously, like you bring in Luke and Leia in the equation, and Han and Chewie, very quickly their true hearts show, right, and they become the heroes that they are because Luke and Leia are around, showing who they can really be, right. They're heroes the whole time, right. But I think people like Ora Singh, in particular, I mean, she's like Cad Bane's brutal. She might be more brutal. Yeah, it's really interesting. She's got a chip on her shoulder for sure, more than Cad Bane does. And that's saying something.
1: What are some fun facts about Aura? I mean, I already
0: mentioned the the integrated com link and communications in her head, right? That's a cybernetic enhancement she has, right? I think another interesting part about her, which is tough, is she's very mysterious. In the original canon, we don't know her race. She's very skilled markswoman and she's force sensitive. So maybe those go hand in hand. She was key in a lot of political assassinations. She killed a lot of political leaders. Through sniping wow. from a distance, right? She killed Senate commandos for Bane's mission to infiltrate the Senate, right? I mentioned she had that Comlink antenna, but she also contained this part of that tech that was called the Ren Orm, which is basically just a biocomputer that allowed her to track threats around her, kind of like cyborg esque, kind of Spidey Sense esque. So, once again, helping in that reaction time, helping that sniper shots, right? So she is human, but she has these cyborg. Characteristics a little bit, right? And I don't know. I think it's super cool because I think she was first conceived as a sketch by the iconic Doug Chang. I'm obsessed with the man. I mean, the man designed the N1 Starfighter. He can do no wrong in my book. But George was like, "I need more interesting characters to fill out the pod race." Doug Chang was like, "Well, I came with this bounty hunter who's just watching the pod race from like a high rise. What do you think about this?" And George was like, "Oh yeah, we got to make that happen. Put a lot of money and time into that. Pursue that more, right?" So it's like. That's kind of how like these things really come to be in Star Wars sometimes. It's like you go from like having a Duros in the original Star Wars Cantina all the way to Cad Bane, the most iconic Duros in the universe, right? This is very similar. It's like Doug Chang had the sketch of this cool lady with a sniper rifle watching the pod race and just kind of expanded a little more and then all of a sudden Dave ran with it more and then you got novels and stuff and comics and the rest is history.
1: Yeah, it's weird because like, for some reason I thought she was in the original trilogy, but she's purely a prequel. Like a brief second in prequel. Yeah.
0: Fair. That's that's where she's at. When they're going through the canyon, she's she's on the high rise looking straight down on the canyon.
1: I'm looking at the picture right now. It's so good. It's interesting because I was always wondering like why is she only her era, right? Like we, we don't talk about eras too much on the show. We should do that
0: more. Not maybe not in these episodes in particular, but like list building episodes for sure, right? She'll come up a lot.
1: Yeah. And so, like, I was just really curious because I was like, why is she only Clone Wars? She was killed pre Andor, right? Oh, I didn't even realize the timeline there. Yeah. You have a better understanding of the timeline. Speaking of eras, like, I guess circling back to Cad Bane, like, I feel like he should have been, you know, well into New Republic. You and I both think that. Yeah. Because very clearly
0: he is that in the canon, right? Like, he is a New Republic era in the 70s, right? 10 years into the New Republic era, roughly.
1: Yeah. So it leads me to believe that maybe. Hopefully we get like a book of Boba Fett Cad Bane. Hype. I would love that. But before a Book of Boba Fett Cad Bane, I want a Book of Boba Fett Boba Fett. Oh, heck yeah.
0: I need the I need the black tunic with the armor over it. That's what I need.
1: Yeah. I wonder why they did that. Is that like a nod to the Tuscan? It's Tuscan clothes. It's sick. That's what it
0: is. I love it. All right, Amon, now that we've done Ora Sings lore, is there any other thoughts you have to add about this scary bounty hunter?
1: No, not really. I do think it's just really neat how she went from one obscure frame reference in a movie to such a fully fleshed out character. Big testament to the Star Wars team for making her so cool. And man, she's ruthless. She was full of surprises. And I really enjoyed learning about her.
0: Well said. Yeah. Welcome to Star Wars. I mean, look at Boba Fett, right? That is true. He was was just imposing guy hired by Vader. And look at all this lore we have now. So absolutely, it's the way they do things sometimes. And The rule of cool can get you really far, get you a lot of stories written for you, you know, if you're well-designed like a lot of these characters are. All right, well, let's get into Aura Singh's card in Star Wars Shatterpoint.
1: Let us do it. She is a five-point cost secondary unit with one character. She brings a force of zero. She has a stamina of eight and a durability of two with the tags Bounty Hunter, Mercenary, and Scoundrel. Well, first things first, our second five cost Secondary in the game,
0: obviously Kalani is worth every point that he is. I'm not even. We're not even talking about Ora's point cost value yet. I'm just talking. It's cool, man, to have another five cost that's not shoehorned into an archetype. Kalani is. Are you playing droids? Are you playing all the droids? Yes. Then can you make room for Kalani? But that's his only role. This is a little bit different, and we're gonna see why.
1: I completely agree. aura Singh definitely feels like she's not as more of a force multiplier like Kalani. Certainly, she can impact the table, but as you've alluded, and as we'll see here immediately, she's very different. And I like the way that they've introduced two five-cost secondary units into the game that function completely differently.
0: Well said. And once again, we're seeing these these tags come up again. Bounty Hunter, Mercenary, Scoundrel. We haven't seen Scoundrel come into effect yet, but now we're seeing a bunch of characters that have it. I mean, Let's not forget, very early on in our show, we talked about this tag because Maul has the Scoundrel tag, and I'm really excited to see what that ends up being in the future. But Bounty Heron Mercenary,
1: we haven't seen Mercenary actually do anything in the game yet either, for sure. Fascinating. Well, let us get in with her first ability, and it is a reactive ability, and she's full of reactions here. Double the contract, double the payout. One force, after a character in this unit makes an attack as part of a combat action, this unit may use this ability. One character in this unit may make a five dice attack targeting a character in a different enemy unit. This is pretty cool. I mean,
0: not Anakin level good where you're getting to perform the same big attack again, but efficiency, I think it's very cool that she's kind of breaking a game state rule of she gets to double attack during her turn, which is uncommon, though the second attack weaker and you got to shoot someone else. So there's definitely things that have to happen.
1: Yes, I agree. Now, peeking a little bit behind the bush here, she is range five. So early game, I think this can be quite potent, especially because she can just cover widespread of the board. I also think this kind of reinforces how you want to play her because we mentioned she has a stamina of eight. That's pretty low. That is pretty low, right? It's so funny how like we love nine, but eight is too low. That's just the the way we've decided to adopt stats in the community, I guess, or at least on this podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this ability is sneaky good. I'm on because like you said, the range five, it's going to come into play around one if you're playing her right. And also, she has so many features on her card that give her extra movement and mobility and climbing and all these type of stuff. So this is just another way to fish for one of those mobility things that maybe you didn't get on the first attack. Or the dream is like you attack someone, get a reposition in her tree, attack someone else that was way out of position before, and now you get another movement ability or something. So
1: Yeah, well said. I think two attacks is always better than one, right? Especially in a game where... Attack actions are hard to come by outside of the Separatist agenda. So it's very exciting, honestly.
0: Well, our game, is really unique, too, where it's like the trees give you so many abilities on your own character and put things on the enemy that getting to attack twice is just more impactful than other games where it's like, well, I do damage twice, right? Like, there's just a lot of features of benefits to that. And I think it makes her really versatile. And, you know, if you're with Cad Bane, you're going to be a little bit lower on force. But I think this is definitely worth the force cost.
1: Yes, especially because if you ever find her in a moment where maybe she can double tap two characters that are on low health, then you're refreshing a ton of force. Pretty exciting. Like, she's got some big spikes that can happen. Indeed. Well, let's look at her next reactive ability called Hit and Run. This also costs a force. After a character in this unit makes an attack action as part of a combat action, this unit may use this ability. One character in this unit may reposition. Now, before we get your thoughts on this, Jesse, I just want to make it super clear that this shares the same reaction window as double the contract, double the payout. So you will have to choose which one you'd like to use, but that's kind of neat. It is neat because what you're alluding to is you
0: could, you've got options, right? But the coolest part about this amount to me, and this is me obviously rewiring my MCP brain, and we're really good about not making MCP comparisons in the show, but I'm about to break that rule briefly. Where it's just like, This is after she makes combat action, you may use this ability. You're not locked into this, right? Other games that have charge and hit and run, things like that. You pay for it. You do the thing. You do the movement. You do the attack or you do the attack and you do the movement. This game is okay. I attacked with what I was saying. I actually got my reposition on my tree and now I'm going to reposition again with this, right? Because I optionally now I can see where I am on the board and I can actually get to that side point. I didn't think I could get to because now I get to move twice. Yeah, I'm paying for this. So I love that it's always an option and something you should always consider with her when you attack with her. You, you ask yourself the question, as Amanda said, do I want to do double the contract or do I want to do hit and run? But both are very viable every time she makes an attack. And that's kind of leaning on one thing I think we're going to see a lot of today. She wants to attack every time she goes.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a really great analogy you made earlier. And I like the fact that, yes, you can see what the tree provides her before choosing to maybe even make an, a bigger move through that reposition. Or... To you know, continue to shoot after maybe again she's repositioned through a tree, right? Like Jesse's mentioned. But I think this is really cool. Why would you ever use hit and run? Well, maybe you're stuck in melee, right? So you melee and then you full advance away. That's really good. It's very powerful. I dig it.
0: Yeah, it keeps her safe too, because we're gonna see a theme with her. She is pretty fragile, but she hits hard from range and she's really mobile. So I just think this adds to her options and playstyle in a really unique way. But continue on, we've got another reaction. You said she's got a lot. This is the final reactive ability called Payday costs one force. So keeping track at home, these all cost one force. So she's got a lot she can do for one force. After you reveal an order card, this unit may use this ability. If it does, this unit gains one tag of her choice until the end of the round. The cool thing I'm on about Payday, it's when you reveal an order card. I think a lot of people read this and they say, oh, when I reveal Aura, I want her to be a Dathomirian this turn. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it's anytime you reveal an order card. So you could synergize this with other characters going, and give her the ability. So it's like, I don't know, like a low-hanging fruit example, it's like, I'm going with Captain Rex. I'm going to make Aura Sing Galactic Republic right now. I'm going to move her with Captain Rex, right? There's so many options. We, you're always asking yourself a million questions when she's doing stuff on her turn, or in this case, when the order deck's revealing cards. So you've got a lot to think about when you have her card in your squad. Yeah,
1: I think it's very neat. You're right, there's a ton of examples. You mentioned Dathomirian, so Mother Talzin's dash. What I think is really interesting, and maybe get your thoughts on this really quickly, Mace Windu's bubble.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think she also slots really well into separatist lists, right? So you can mm-hmm. easily give her a separatist tag and give her movement shenanigans and all kinds of cool stuff. So, yeah, the possibilities kind of are endless. And what's really cool about this payday I'm on, because this is our first instance of it, and I know AMG knows this too, but. Man, what a, what a thing to build into the game this early on that's going to just continue to give dividends over time, right? Like we haven't even seen what the Rebel Alliance and Empire do, but this could work with those as well, right? So every time a new model comes out or a new box or things like that, Aura could always potentially work with them with this payday ability
1: in some way. Yeah, it's very cool. Completely agree with you. Let's round out Aura's card with her innate ability, Expendable Distraction. When a character in this unit makes a range attack as part of a combat action, if the defender is engaged with one or more allied characters and units that are not wounded, it may add three dice to its attack roll. If it does choose one of those engaged allied units, the chosen unit suffers two damage. Sound familiar?
0: It does. It's like reverse Vader, but with sniping.
1: Yeah. Also, the theme of this is incredible, right? Her allies
0: are engaged with the enemy and she's like, I'm just going to shoot through everyone. It's crazy. Friendly
1: fire is turned on.
0: But I think it's really good, Mon, because once again, I've been kind of alluding to she's got a lot of cool abilities on her tree, especially when it comes to movement. This is something you can do to hopefully guarantee to get to those movement aspects of your tree.
1: I really like this ability. I think it's very thematic, as you say. It's very selfish, it's very bounty hunter, scoundrel esque. But at the same time, like, dude, if you might be losing a point, right? And you already know you're going to lose it on your opponent's next turn, and this is maybe your way of trying to get that point back, I will happily. Wound one of my units if I means I can wound maybe your Vader or your Maul or your primary, right? Like it's kind of exciting for sure because not only is it, I guess we would go wash on momentum because we'd both gain momentum, but in that situation, like Cad, if he's on the board, gives you more force and hopefully it gives me more points, right? Because I'm able to win the point back from you or etc Or if I really just want to take down your Grievous, right, before he starts doing crazy things, or maybe try to force Anakin down before he's efficiently double tapping. And make it more expensive, then this could be what you need. It's definitely worth it, right? And I love the synergy
0: too, Amana. Of course, this will come up at the end of our boxes, a whole discussion. But I love the theme too, is like, if Cad Bane's sitting next to Aura, and Aura snipes someone from across the field with this ability, now she's triggering the refresh and the recover and some of these things. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's very Bounty Hunter, where it's like, the supports are maybe expendable to them, you know? <laughs> and they're, they're kind of doing the main brunt of the work and getting paid.
1: Yeah. I mean, I also think it's kind of funny that technically, you know, like Cad can take two damage if he's engaged. Absolutely. Which is cool in that thematic as well. I can definitely see him saying something like, that was a close one, but good job, you know? Or like, don't ever shoot at me again. Some type of stuff. So. Yep.
0: A hundred percent. And he recovers a little bit if Aura wounded the model and he's like,
1: oh yeah, don't do that again.
0: Well, we got to move on to Aura Singh's tree, her form I'm on. And obviously the tree that comes with that form
1: yeah, it's called Not Asking Permission, which makes sense, because based on expendable distractions, she's not asking for permission. She's just going to take shots and do what she wants to do. So let's start with her range 5 attack profile. It's 7 dice and 5 defense on range, 6 with melee, 5 on defense melee. If we're looking at her defensive expertise, she has dexterous dodge, 1 to 2. Expertise is a block and turning an opposing crit to a fail, 3 plus. You get the exact same thing, but with a climb as well. All I'll say in mind is while we're here, one for one
0: is great. Technically for this is one for two. You're getting rid of one of their dice, and you're getting a block. I love that. so obviously, one expertise is her dream.
1: Yeah, it's actually quite funny because you want your opponents to roll crits, because this is better against crits. If they don't roll any crits, it's actually worse for you, which is contrary to usually how the game works. Well said, yeah. Going to her attack profiles, we have the custom blaster pistols in melee, one expertise, one strike, two expertise. One crit, three plus, a crit and a strike. Not very good, but she is a ranged fighter, right? She's known for her sniping ability. Yeah, this is her using the pistols in close combat. That's all it is. Exactly. So we'll jump to her custom sniper rifle here. This is her ranged expertise. One expertise, one damage. Two to three, a crit and a damage. Four plus, two crits and a damage. That's pretty good there. You know, it is very good. And it's very, it, it reminds me of Maul almost. Yeah. Well said. Yeah.
0: It also reminds me a little bit of like Gar and like the 212th, mm-hmm. which keeping with that theme of sniping characters, right? That just yeah. consistent damage and consistent crits from range.
1: Agreed. Well, let's get into this tree here. We're starting out with a pin and a damage, which is solid. She's a sniper. Snipers tend to pin people down. Makes sense. From here, we're going to go to a strain and two damage. So two conditions and three damage, two trees in or two tiles in is very potent. Now from here, We have a choice. We can either go up or we can go straight. Going up is the shorter route, so we'll start with that one. After the strain and two damage, you get a shove and a damage, followed by a shove and a damage, followed by a climb and a damage. So in total, this tree would offer you two conditions. So in total, this path will offer you two conditions, six damage, two shoves, and a climb. That's real good. This is a really good path against supports. Yeah, I completely agree, especially if you're just trying to get someone off a point. All you need to do is get to that third tile. As long as they don't have steadfast, you're good to go, but you can really lean into it if you really want to, which I like. Now, going on the straight path, after the pin and a damage and a strain and two damage, we get third tile, three damage. Then we get fourth tile, exposed and the damage. Fifth tile, reposition. Sixth tile, two more damage. So in total, on this path, you get three conditions, eight damage, and a reposition. That's a lot. And keep in mind, Aman, if your allies are engaged,
0: she always has the option to crank that sniper rifle up to 10. Dice. So she is a support character throwing 10 dice from range five. She's going to do pretty well down this tree. I agree. That's her tree. What's interesting, amon is this hit and run, this double the contract combination, and how we can kind of assess really quick what it looks like. So you could go this top path, like amon said, do a bunch of follow ups in a climb, right? And now you've set up your double the contract to attack someone else. And maybe you could go down the tree a different way, or you could just do more shoves in another climb. Or you could go down the middle path and get to that coveted reposition. But even if you don't get to the reposition, you still did a couple follow-ups and a climb, and
1: maybe now you can do a reposition with hidden run. Yeah, I think like we said, it's it's there's a lot of options, there's a lot of potential, and I, there's a lot of flexibility that Aura can offer. And it's very reminiscent of what a bounty hunter is capable of doing, right? They're able to be agile on the battlefield, get that damage across, force conditions. So I think the example. Is a good one, and it really allows again that flexibility and then versatility that I think is needed from a five-point cost unit for sure. And I like too that you were talking about she can hit eight damage right on
0: her tree, but it's
1: nine if
0: she got a expertise right. That's going to take out a lot of characters.
1: Yeah, I mean that one-shot some primaries if the dice are in your favor, right? We talked about there's a lot of nine health characters, or I can one-shot them if the dice align. She she could do a lot. I mean. If you put it through that lens,
0: she could do seven damage, only four spots in to somebody, as long as she got one expertise.
1: Well, let's talk about aura as a whole, right? Because it's really interesting. I think you take a look at her card and you see the five point costs, and you're thinking, okay, I get it. She can make two attacks a turn, but it costs a force and the primary that she would generally come with, right? From optimal synergy only brings two force to the battlefield. So then you're probably thinking, hmm, is it better suited if she goes outside of CAD, right? But then it makes list building a lot harder because most primaries, in fact, every primary outside of CAD are eight and seven and six. So it's like, how does she even fit? And does it make list building awkward? So then maybe you think, okay, well, maybe CAD is the right spot. And then we take a look at the way that she's performing. And if you take account into the average dice rolls in the game, she's actually not doing a lot of damage. So then you're wondering, like, what is it that gives Aura that price tag, right? It's really confusing because in some cases, and I don't know if this is an anomaly, but I think you can just play a point down and take Django and it's probably better. Now, I don't know if that's an aura problem or a Django problem that he's too good, right? But that's just something that for me, I think about, I think we know the answer to that. yeah, we, we do. Right. But like, why would you ever not just take Django? I don't know if playing a point down matters as much in Shatterpoint as it may do in other games. Right. So that's one thing. Number two if we take her a step further and we put her on the table, which I've had the opportunity to do so a couple times now, I have found that she works best when you're using expendable distraction. Yes, got to get to that tree. Yeah. You you do, but it's so hard to set up sometimes because okay, yeah, Vader Grievous is everywhere. People like to, you know, run up the board and slap people. But at the same time, like if Vader or Grievous or Mace or Anakin or Maul attacks one of my supports or secondaries, there's a very good chance they're getting one shot. So then the question is, expendable distraction only works if the allied character is not wounded. But if Vader and Grievous and whomever walk up to the board and wound my character, then I can't use expendable distraction. So it's this weird situation that I found myself in many times now, as I'm sure others are, and, and you will as well, Jesse, He's like, okay, I want to use expendable distraction. I see the value in it. This is why she's good. This is why she's expensive. But half the time, I can't even use it because the meta is so warped into walking up to midpoints and one-shotting people. Even Magna Guards can one-shot with the Vader identity. Well, yeah, the Vader identity is insane, is, is the summary of this.
0: And Jane goes out of control. Yeah, I, I see your points and uh, I do agree with most of them. I think another reason why she's so expensive, and this is just purely speculation, but maybe AMG rated Payday and Hit and Run both very high. And what I mean by that is, yeah, she's a character that can double attack. That's great with double the contract, but she can also double advance, which is very good in this game. Very unusual in this game, right? That's very uncommon. You know, OB2 has it. But also, I think with Payday and with more primaries coming in the future, which we don't know what their cost is, right? Now we know nine's an option, right? Maybe that combination, AMG rated Payday, maybe a hair higher than it should be, but also respectfully i think that's a good idea because this is an ability that can just take off in the future if not kept under control i mean if she was four with this ability that means that she's going to be around like the rest of the life of the game
1: guaranteed so maybe five was a way to future proof that i'm not sure yeah i'm quite curious to what the reasoning behind it was and we may never get that answer right Uh, but ultimately i mean i don't know you're right payday maybe seems like it's a little highly rated i think payday could have been for free at least on her right? Given the fact that she's five points. But I also think that maybe it just seems like if you look at that bell curve that they always often allude to, sometimes characters just fall somewhere on that curve. And as long as they're within that range, it's fine. Like, is she as good as Kalani? No. But who is? Very few. Again, that's a great question, right? There may never be a five point character that is as good as Kalani. We don't know that. But it's something to consider. I think if you can get expendable distraction off multiple times during a game and you have a team that can recover whether it's cad or other things then aura hits hard like very hard is it her time in the meta right now i don't know i don't know either yeah
0: good call out on the expendable distraction i definitely think that's what you want to do with her i actually think her biggest strength is the ceiling which she can hit with the triple move during her turn because you can move shoot move from your tree move from hit and run. So, in a weird way, she's our most mobile character yet. In a weird way, the way I view Aura in the lore, and also kind of like certainly now in this game, is she's like a ninja on the rooftops, you know, that's moving really fast and repositioning. And that's what she has to do to stay alive. She can't get dug in. If she gets dug in, she's, she's done, right? But if she's always moving around really quickly, shooting a vulnerable target, and then completely repositioning the other side of the board, that's very powerful in Shatter Point. I honestly think Hidden Run in conjunction with her reposition and her ability to move normally is her best feature, and that's going to take the most time to figure out how to do correctly. Also, terrain
1: depending. This is true. The three advances potentially a turn is very nice. Let's say you get her wherever you want to go. She's still only eight stamina, five defense. I guess
0: it's balanced. I don't think she's going to a side of the board that has yet to go. I think she's repositioning to the other side of the board that has gone after she... Aces somebody with their sniper rifle, you know.
1: Yeah, I think the ideal play pattern is I don't know. I guess maybe advance, double shoot, and then get the reposition off your tree through expendable distractions. That's pretty good. It is. It is. Remains to be seen. I'm curious. I don't know if I'm the guy to unlock Aura. Sounds like you might be, or someone else. But I'm just so into Django, so I compare everything to <laughs> Django, and I'm like, or obi Two even. You know. Yeah, for sure. Like,
0: obi Two is my. You man. love obi One.
1: Yeah. You slip him into every episode, so. Yeah. And, you know, maybe
0: too, Amon, this is our first bounty hunter box, and we're probably jumping this conversation a little too early. This needs to be the end of the episode conversation, but time will tell what other bounty hunters bring, right? And Aura could just get better and better. All right, Amon, well, that's Aura saying we got to move on to these bounty hunters. And, you know, lore's going to be short and sweet. These are not named bounty hunters. This is the general idea of bounty hunters in the Star Wars universe, though we do have Cad Bane's droid as one of these minis, Toto who's just a faithful servant. He's not even a bounty hunter per se. He's just being a good droid. But I'm not going to go deep in lore or anything. It's just a quick discussion about bounty hunters in the Star Wars universe. They're an essential piece of this universe, which is you know the Western meets samurai movie. And these guys are always looking to get paid. It doesn't matter who they work for, which is, I think, a crucial part of Star Wars is all these people that reside in the middle between the light and the dark, the Empire and the rebels, the Republicans, separatists, right? The list goes on and on. And bounty hunters are a constant in Star Wars. I mean, from that first moment, Luke, Obi-Wan, walk into the Star Wars cantina, and there's various pilots, bounty hunters, scoundrels, mercenaries, all in there. That's Luke's first dose of what the real world looks like, right? He's never seen anything like that. He's been on his farm all this time and hanging out with his friends. And bounty hunters are awesome in Star Wars, and these are generic bounty hunters. AMG intentionally kept this generic, which has a lot of hope for me in the future that we'll get some more named bounty hunters. They've also made it very clear these guys are multi-era. So these could just be any bounty hunters at any given time, Clone Wars, Galactic Civil War, things like that, right? And the species of these guys are the Devonarian and Chandrafan. And I love the little Chandrafan guy because he's he's a little bat guy. That's awesome. Both of these guys are both seen in the first Star Wars Cantina and the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope.
1: Yeah, I think it's so cool. It's interesting because my first introduction to bounty hunters is i guess that race pod scene right cuz in phantom menace cuz that's when you first see aura and then you see a bunch of like random cool looking dudes and then obviously you know i had heard of boba fett i'd seen boba fett but as a child of the prequels if you will my favorite scene is like you want to buy some death sticks
0: you don't want to sell me death sticks <laughs> you need to go home and rethink your life yeah yeah some some stuff going on that scene as well that's that's a coruscant bar but yeah, this is like a huge part of Star Wars. These these people that are living paycheck to paycheck, that are just whatever it is they're doing, right? But the, this particular thing is actually bounty hunters today. And you know, huge part of Han's arc in the original Star Wars was Han's always got a price on his head from Jabba, right? Jabba's always trying to get him. So bounty hunters are always on the trail of Han and Chewie. And Han and Chewie have had to kill a lot of these guys along over the years, and until uh, eventually Boba Fett catches them. Kill or be killed, man. That's right. Cowboys versus outlaws, you know.
1: Gosh, cowboys versus aliens. Okay, well, that's really Star Wars if you think about it. I guess everyone's really On the.
0: Yeah, alien, is the cowboy. It's good stuff.
1: All right, well, good overarching summary of Bounty Hunters as a whole. Let's talk about them in Shatterpoint. Four-point cost, two characters in the unit, zero force, stamina of eight, durability of two, and one thing that we haven't touched on yet is that Aura and Cad are both in the Clone Wars era. However, the Bounty Hunters are multi-era. So the two symbols on their card are Fall of the Jedi and Age of Rebellion, and per Appendix C in the Cross-Era Units section of the rulebook, any era in between the eras denoted on the card are also included. So these bounty hunters can be incorporated into lists that constitute the eras of Fall of the Jedi, Reign of the Empire, and Age of Rebellion. So three out of the four available.
0: Only other instance of that we've seen was, of course, the Vader OB2 and the inquisitors so we're getting a little bit more flexibility with our list building cool sculpts such cool sculpts. two two characters but three minis yeah i always love when amg does stuff like this of course they have a stamina of eight and durability of two and they have four tags bounty hunter mercenary scoundrel and trooper so they have everything aura had but they gained the trooper tag something we're seeing Come up a lot in the game with these supports. Once again, I'm on, we'll see where Mercenary and Scoundrel go.
1: And Trooper, because I don't think any card has specifically just called out Trooper without another adjective describing said Trooper.
0: 100%. I think that might be a detriment in the future, maybe. Maybe there's a Trooper Hunter type character. Ooh. I don't know.
1: Well, let's start with their Tactics ability. On the trail, at the start of this unit's activation, each character in this unit may dash toward an enemy character.
0: It's free. It's never going to be increased in cost. Really great early rounds of the game when the box is huge, the box you can advance towards your opponents. Obviously, more as the game goes on, this gets a little bit weaker, but keep in mind the way movement works in this game. You don't have to go the full distance. You don't have to go completely straight towards them. You can kind of go at an angle. There's a lot of options, right? With this, Amon, and movement is good.
1: I agree. And movement is also great because this says toward an enemy character. So you can choose which enemy character you can dash toward. Obviously, clever enemy placement can be a detriment but i find that that'll probably be few and far between what's also interesting it's each character in this unit so each character can dash toward a different enemy character as well which offers you a little bit of flexibility well said no i like it i, th- I think it's always going to come into play and always be good okay cool well next ability is an active one called tools of the trade it costs one force you can choose one of the following effects you can choose an enemy unit within three, and that unit gains disarm, or characters in this unit have both sharpshooter two and impact two until the end of the turn.
0: I think this is really cool. The only problem with this, Amon, is if you gain, like, say, the sharpshooter and the impact two for the for the round, you still have to take the focus action to turn those on, right? So you need to plan for that.
1: That is absolutely correct. So effectively, for the cost of an action and a force you could maybe have a pretty big attack turn. 100%. And
0: Disarm's not bad either, you know, on a big primary.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Coordinated Fire, but not necessarily in that window. It's during your activation, but if I see Grievous or Vader or even Jango walking up the board, even Cad, just going to hit him with a Disarm, that makes my opponent's turns a lot more difficult. Oh, 100%. Toss that on one of those
0: Jedi, too, and they're having a rough time, so.
1: I think it's really cool. But the Sharpshooter too.
0: As Amon and I have alluded to in a previous episode when we talked about the Banning Harriers briefly, I think the Sharpshooter 2 is our favorite here.
1: I think it is our favorite because it allows you to get pretty gnarly amounts of dice off if you get that focus action. I mean, just peeking a little bit behind the curtain, they're on six dice at range five. So you bump that up to two nine dice attacks, you can throw 18 dice into a unit. Absolutely insane, right? How these guys
0: with pistols can shoot further range than Cad Bane, who's... One of the greatest pistol gunslingers in the world? I'll never know.
1: Because those quick draws, man. He waits until he gets within range and then shows off.
0: Perfect shot. Yeah. He never he never misses. Yeah, for sure. Well, closing out their card, Amon, they have a reactive ability that's going to look familiar. Payday costs one force after you reveal an order card. Once again, doesn't even have to be their card, just a order card. This unit may use this ability. If it does, this unit gains one tag of a choice until the end of the turn. Really good. It's only going to build out. In fact, better than Aura's Amon because multi-era
1: models. I agree. Multi-era unit who can kind of slot in wherever, so you can enjoy the flexibility of any affiliation. I mean, the fact that maybe you can do an advance and that can trigger a different, you know, dash or something. Like a lot of the conversations that we talked about in the last unit with Aura, same things apply here. Hundred percent. Let's just jump right into their stance card because it's pretty interesting. It's called hunting season. So we talked about range five, range attack. The defense is five at range and it's four on melee. And the attack profile is six, six on both melee and range. Let's start with their defensive expertise called patchwork armor. One to two expertise, one block, three expertise, two blocks, four plus two blocks and a recover. Then bash is their melee expertise, one expertise, one strike, two plus a strike and a damage. And then finally, their range expertise, the SE-14 blaster, one expertise, one strike, two plus, a crit, and a damage.
0: Pretty basic stuff for a four-cost support, but also like I like that the blaster expertise is an upgrade of the melee one, slightly. And I really like the one expertise for one defense. I just love that one-for-one one on the defensive expertise I'm on. But that random recover is kind of cool with the four plus.
1: I completely agree. It's pretty neat. Let's get into this tree. All right, two starting points here. You can either start with two damage or you can do a shove and a damage. That's pretty good. Yeah, I love shove on damage as the first tile. It's amazing. You
0: you guys can tell that we like that because we always like, man.
1: I still wish Savage had a shove, man. It makes sense, but man, he has a lot of damage. Yeah, I just think it would make him so much more playable. But moving on, your second tile is just one damage. And then from there, you continue down the tree. There's a total of five spots. The third tile is a pin and damage, then we get another shove and a damage, and then we get an exposed. So the total amount of damage at maximum you can do with no prior conditions on the enemy character or unit is five. Yeah, or six
0: if you get that two expertise, which seems likely, right, with those nine dice. This is true. With the expertise, yes. I do like the double shoves here, Amon, and I do love, obviously, the expose. I feel like these guys are going to be a really cool choice with the bounty hunters we have and also bounty hunters in the future. And it seems really good that the supports can put out an expose or, and pins before these big primary bounty hunters go, in theory.
1: And I think that's why expose is the last part on the tree, because it's so potent with aura and with cad, right? So you have to kind of really do well with the hunters themselves before the big guys and girls benefit from it. What I do find interesting is, let's say you bump this up to two nine dice attacks. What I really enjoy is the damage stops at the fourth step. Which actually helps pad the damage because you can get the damage through with less successes, right, which is cool, especially when you encounter those expertise a minimum of four successes each attack you can dish out at least with one expertise 12 damage pretty neat well, and I'm
0: glad you mentioned 12 damage because that's any model in the game right if you do hit that special magical place of four successes two times in a row, but yeah, I love that the first one can lay down some conditions too and then now you're putting more damage and more conditions on top of them, which are equating to more damage, right? And keep in mind, all these characters, Amon, that we've talked about today, have auto damage on their expertise trees, right? So it's like a lot of these little auto damages can add up too. And let's not forget Cad Bane. he just popping you for two damage when these guys are attacking too, if he wants. Agreed. Well, these guys are pretty simple, Amon. I don't think there's really much to talk about with them until we get into this final box discussion as a whole, which we should just probably start now.
1: Let's do it. So let's talk about this box as a whole, right? Obviously, this entire box is designed around the fact that Cad Bane's identity allows you to refresh your force at, in some cases, quite alarming rates. If you're able to just roll well at range and do a lot of damage, which in theory, that's what you want to do, you're in a great spot. And this is really fascinating to me because this box as a whole, similar to the Padme box, but more so in this particular example, is designed around you wanting to keep your distance and shoot away. Right, We talk about the efficacy of melee and range attacks and Shatterpoint. Well, melee attacks obviously just hit harder because the cooler characters like Vader and Mace, Obi, Maul play people. But Cad's this gunslinger, right? And I really like how he's starting to shift and change that narrative and make this ranged attrition style more possible and more interesting. And you pair that with maybe, you know, maybe you give him Galactic Republic key tags and you pair him with a Cody or a Gar, or all these other ranged fighters, and maybe you can have a potent ranged force that can just blast your opponent as they're walking towards you, because you have these Vader's and these grievances who are trying to come up the board. This could be, in a way, a great anti-meta strategy. Obviously, we're not there yet, but I think we're starting to see the pieces formed, which I think is really exciting. And then, of course, that there's that huge amount of flexibility you mentioned through Payday. But those are my initial thoughts, I think, with this box.
0: I agree with that stuff. I think what's sneaky about the box, Saman, is like you said at the beginning, Cad Bane's ability to refresh force and pass out recovers is kind of shocking, right? The more you get this box down, the more you learn how to play, deal that damage. Well, his low force is not going to matter because really now the force is a different number, right, than what you thought it was at the start of the game that he's bringing because it's so crucial to his playstyle and what you're doing is triggering his identity. So I think that can catch your opponent out, especially if they've got like. Another interesting character alongside Cad Bane that maybe needs a lot of force or something, right? Thinking outside of the box, like a, a character that's not a bounty hunter or something else like that. So I think that's where Cad is really gonna soar in the future. And where these bounty hunters and aura just slot right in and work with it because they're dealing damage from range. Cad Bane's getting more damage and more jumps off as they're doing damage from range, or is getting all her repositions and advances. And you know, it seems like if your dice are just kind of average or spiky, this whole system you've set up is gonna work. You know, it's going to continue to give you force and recovers and just help you win the game by obviously just winning points because models are wounded as well.
1: I completely agree. I'm kind of excited to see where the bounty hunter strategy goes. I think Cad is actually very powerful and he's going to be slotted into a lot of lists. I think, for example, if maybe the Vader Grievous list canonically you struggle with, then you can go Grievous Cad or even Vader Cad. Because, you know, Cad was alive when Vader existed. You can even do Maul Cad. First of all, that is canon, as we talked about at the beginning of this episode. But it's obviously one of my favorite characters to play as well. And that's where I've done most of my testings. I think there's a lot of ways where you can have fun with Cad and do some cool things. Aura is the one that I'm the most iffy on.
0: Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I think Cad slots right into that Separatist archetype if you enjoy him. And obviously the lore is there. And what's so cool to me, Amon, about Cad and that Separatist grouping is... We're finally getting more doors open to play the B2s easily, right? It's just always been a detriment, always been tight. And now you can literally do something with CAD like Kalani B2s with CAD, which is insane, right? Like that's just that's just great in itself, especially for other primaries, maybe like Grievous, some Magna's, and someone else, right? Or things like that. There's a lot of options, and I'm curious to see, I don't know, the direction that CAD opens up in the game because he's opened up a lot. Like just his point cost alone is we're going to continue to see what he brings to
1: the game. I agree. Well, I think that's a really good summary of the box. And I think a lot of the flexibility that this box can offer you obviously stand out CAD, right? Completely can change the way the game potentially can be played in terms of the meta moving forward. And I'm very excited to see how players and the community utilize him and the bounty hunters as well. I think they can be a great four point cost in these multi-era lists moving forward, especially as we get empire and rebels coming soon couldn't agree more i'm really excited to see where they all slot in and i think
0: aura will grow as the game goes on too because once again she's kind of a weird point cost at the moment but when we get more options obviously she'll have more playability as well and we'll, we'll see where that ends up being for sure well on. that's another episode in the bag it was fun to talk about binding hunters for the first time in the show and hopefully we assume it's not the last time especially with din on the horizon hopefully soon because i really want to play din but of course we got to talk about all the places you can find us online. Hello there, supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a hello there patron by going to patreon.com slash hello there cast. Of course, we've got all this stuff going on. We've been talking about on this show, giveaways, community events, the league, hanging out, talking about mini stravaganza, all kinds of good stuff, right? Going on in our discord and our Patreons, how you get into that. Of course, you can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch, all at the same place at hello there cast. We'd really appreciate follows there. Email us at gmail.com and leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. But we really appreciate the Apple Podcasts and Spotify reviews. And you guys have been showing up on those, and it really means a lot to us. So if you have either or both of those platforms, please give us a five-star review and get the word out about Shatterpoint.
1: We had a goal of trying to hit 100, and we're at 92. So we're almost there. Eight more, and we'll get to 100 reviews.
0: That's on Spotify, of course, right? So yeah, if you guys can get us past 100 on Spotify, that'd that'd be incredible. Uh, of course, thank you to Lofield for our show's music, and you can find me and Amon several places online. You can find me, Jesse, all at the same place, Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, and Discord at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my show, Fury's Finest, about everything Marvel Christ Protocol and the Marvel Universe.
1: Amon, where can everyone find you? You can find me at A Man Who Games on Twitter. Amon, I'm the only one. You can find me everywhere at Amon Kusero. And of course, I am a host on my show path to glory the warhammer underworld's podcast that focuses on competitive gaming player development and community growth and in regards to the other amans out in the world as the premier bounty hunter in the universe i have hunted them all and taken them in for a fistful of credits well said amon needs
0: no introduction because he's the only amon may the force be with you civilized